Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. In recent weeks, people have approached me as a priest and asked me, Father, what do we do? Where do we go from here? How do I pray? What do I pray for? Of course, they're referring to world events, events in our nation, from the coronavirus to the elections to all kinds of confusion and division and unhappiness and fear and anger, etc. You know the story. You know what I'm talking about. And so they want to know, where do they go from here? What do they do? Well, I would answer that by always going to something greater than myself, and that would be the church, the liturgical life of the church, and of course the scripture, our theology, the saints. I would defer to them as the way, the answer. And if there's any virtue that we need in our world today, I think that's the one thing to which we have lost our reference point. In other words, we really don't know what humility is in our culture. And if it's taught to us, if it's modeled, deep down inside, we admire that, something way deep inside of us, because that's how God created us, to admire what is true, good, and beautiful underneath it all. But basically, we would not recognize it. We would think it was some kind of weakness, or, oh, I couldn't do that, or not for me. And yet, humility is the virtue, I think, most needed, and also in need of understanding. And again, that's why I turn to the church, especially its liturgical life, because in liturgy is where we get the blueprint, the answer for everything. Whenever we promote truth or want to defend truth, which is part of what's going on today, which is part of the division and why the division is happening and the unrest and so on, there's basically two realms in which we can promote and protect truth. One is a remote realm, and the other one is a proximate one. What I mean by that is the remote one has to do with demonstrating, marching, being very vocal, maybe writing to our governor, congressman, and so on, going on the internet, blogging, and so on. In other words, it's a very public approach, and one that usually involves or connects with a lot of people and seeks to actually affect things 
for a lot of people. And it tends to be like all at once, like we're going to march and demonstrate and we're going to change hearts. We're going to get our message out there because we have this power and numbers and this support. And that is one way, one of the realms or venues for promoting and defending truth. And it's necessary. It is a viable one. Obviously, it can sometimes get out of control. But the other realm is the proximate one, the one-on-one, the discipling is how we would actually call it, discipleship. In other words, this person evangelizes or persuades or converts this person simply by their humble example, their genuine, sincere example. For example, look at the pro-life march. Years ago, I can remember when it made a big impact in the media because all these people, hundreds of thousands, and it was covered in the media quite extensively. But I noticed over time, the media started to, little by little, underestimate, underpresent the numbers. Then after that, they began to underpresent the event itself until now it's basically not presented at all. It's completely inconsequential in terms of media, especially mainstream media. They may give it a passing reference, but that's it. It no longer has any teeth in terms of its public, remote realm of demonstration and of effectiveness, at least not in the media. What has been the most effective step in protecting innocent life, in other words, in stopping women from having abortions, what has been that is the development and the application of the technique of ultrasound, you know, where they can actually see and hear the baby in the womb. Because what ultrasound does is it brings the whole matter to the proximate realm, the one-on-one, the discipling. And more lives, more innocent lives of babies in the womb have been saved that way than all the demonstrations. You see, the demonstrations, it's okay. Like I said, there's a place for that. But it tends to be a little bit beyond what I would call the realm of humility, Because it can be very boisterous, it can be very forward, it can be very look at us, it can be very, we got the power, we got the strength, look what we're doing, look what we're accomplishing, we got all this energy and power. Even in the best of marches, the best of intentions, it can spill over into that or be energized by that type of, well, I'll call it maybe self-righteousness or ego. Now, the people doing it, for instance, in the pro-life march are obviously very well-intended and sincere, but still there's a a place that it can go that is beyond what I would say humility. But if we look at the one-on-one, the discipling, the key factor there is a great humility. There's nothing public about it. There's nothing showy. No one knows really what we're doing except the person we're working with. And in that moment of humility, in that moment of one-on-one intimacy between persons, their hearts and souls, in that comes the salvation. In that comes the saving of life. In that comes effectiveness and progress. And so humility is something where we're not just going around with our heads down and saying, oh, we're not worthy or acting like we can't say anything or speak up, etc., Humility means that we rely on truth and on God in a very, very quiet way, a very non-showy way, and, and in a very sincere way. Humility is, is about really understanding that we're not 
in control. We don't have the power we think we have. We can't change the world in one swoop, in one demonstration. We can't change that person's argument. We can't prove them wrong necessarily in that moment, nor necessarily should we. Humility keeps us relying more on God, doing our part, but relying on God. Humility is very, very effective, actually. It's very, in a sense, contagious. It's very disarming, real humility. Humility takes it all away from the I, the me, the what we're accomplishing. Gosh, if we could just win, if we could just have our side win, we could just convince the other person of this, and that they're wrong, and how they should change. If we could just change this law or change that group, stop this, stop that, stop them, then everything will be fine. And then we can get rather proud of our accomplishment. You see what we did? We won. We changed them. Again, I go back to the question of pro-life. What if we were able to undo, roll back the Roe versus Wade? You know, remember the pivotal decision allowed for abortion, made it legal in this country? Many groups, many efforts are dedicated towards repealing that, getting that off of the book so that abortion, because it is killing innocent babies, that it is now illegal again. There's a lot of effort in that, a lot of sense of triumph that that could happen. But let's get humble again. Let's say we accomplish that. Let's say the pro-life movement accomplishes that. What then? Do we have the adequate, I'm going to call it net, to catch girls, women who are frightened, who are considering abortion? Would we have a net to catch them in if we take away the legality of them being able to have an abortion? And we should. They should not have abortions. But they see that as their alternative, their only alternative. And they usually are frightened when they choose that. So if we say, okay, you can't do that by law, it's illegal, where will they go? They have to go to the place that will help them keep that child, help them to move beyond their fear. Do we have that framework? Do we have that system set up as pro-lifers in a way that is comprehensive? Yes, we do have it here and there. We're here in a large city of Chicago, and you can count on one hand the women's centers of a huge area. Many girls wouldn't, wouldn't even know about them. So where do they go? They have to have that place to go. And we have to ask ourselves, if we just become very proud about overturning that terrible law, we have to ask ourselves, well, then what? What do we offer for these young women? When we come back, we're going to talk more about humility and its application, and also some examples coming up in our liturgical calendar during this time of year. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. 
Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Hoyer, your host, and I, I hope that the title of this program and its charism is vision, in other words, light of the East, is in itself helpful. I hope we're doing some of that here by virtue of this program, because we certainly are in a period that seems to be very dark. It might even get even darker, and many people are looking for some kind of light. Hopefully, we're being that in our own way here at Light of the East by drawing upon the riches of the church, East and West, but in particular, the Eastern churches. So we're looking at a way to recenter ourselves in that great priceless virtue of humility and how we apply that to the problems, the challenges of everyday life, especially the challenges that we're all facing now in our world, in our families. We said earlier that the place to go first is in a proximate realm. In other words, our relationship with God, our families, our wives, marriages, husbands, children, and people we work with, our parish, our parish priest, our fellow parishioners, and so on. In other words, think of it as concentric rings of a tree. We need to focus and to shore up, to strengthen, to deepen. I really think this is what the Lord is asking us to do during this time. We have to deepen and shore up and strengthen those areas of life that are most immediate, most proximate. And that does take a certain humility. There's no flash in that. There's nothing public. It's not something we can put on the internet, become a sensation. It's something that exists first and foremost within our own heart and the changing of our heart and therefore helping others to change their hearts, not tell them they're wrong, not try to convince them or win an argument, beat them down, but to help them change their hearts so they can come into a greater sense of the truth. Now, we need some help in this regard. 
And we have it, as always, in the liturgy of the church. This Sunday is the second preparatory Sunday that gives us a little hint of the coming of the season of Lent, the ultimate season of humility. And that is this Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is a Sunday of the publican and the Pharisee, the quintessential story of humility. You remember that story from Luke chapter 18 in the Bible? And we purposely have it in our calendar as we approach, get ever closer to the season of humility, that is the season of Lent or the Great Fast. The Pharisee and a publican come into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee goes up front, takes his position up front. The publican, which is basically a tax collector, stays in the back, doesn't even lift his eyes up and keeps beating his breast, asking God to forgive him. The Pharisee, on their hand, goes up front and tells God how righteous he is, how he is unlike that publican over there. Now, the Pharisee gets a very bad rap, usually, in homilies and when we reflect on this gospel story. But we have to remember one thing about the Pharisee. There is actually something good about him, but it just doesn't go far enough, especially in the Christian faith. The Pharisee is claiming that he is a righteous one, that he follows the rules. He's obedient to his faith. He accepts the teachings of his church, so to speak, and he's following it. Therefore, he's justified. He's good. And he can contrast that with someone who's not following it. So he's trying to plead his case before God that, look, I am not like that. So there is something good in the fact that he is trying to embrace the precepts of his faith, this being the Jewish faith, and that he is righteous or tries to be. However, that doesn't complete the story. When Jesus Christ comes along, he teaches us that it's much more than just following the law, obeying the rules. It's about what happens deep within us in that change of heart, that humility. The publican, in just beating his breast and not even raising his eyes up, upward to God while he begs for forgiveness, actually has adopted the only true and honest position that we human beings can have. There's only two postures that we can have that are honest before God, and that is humility and gratitude. And they really go together. We're grateful because God has given us everything, and we're especially grateful because He is merciful. And we beg for that mercy, and when we receive that mercy, that is a reason for gratitude. So they really do go together. So the example of the publican is one of where, where it's not a matter of beating ourselves on the head that we're no good. It's a matter of being honest before God. Do you know how many times in the Byzantine liturgy we say and chant, Lord, have mercy? Sometimes it's literally hundreds of times within a service. That's right. Lord, have mercy. We're constantly begging for mercy, constantly proclaiming our unworthiness and how we're grateful for God that he allows us to dare approach him in the intimacy of the Eucharist. I mean, who do we think we are? that we can be that close to God. How presumptuous are we? So we have, in a sense, an inherent sense of pride in us that has to be overcome through what might seem to be, by today's standards, extreme humility. But it's really not. It's actually normal humility. There's just no end. There's really no bottom to the length to which we should go in our sense of repentance and humility. And again, this is not to be confused with some kind of demented, psychological, self-debasing, telling ourselves we're just no good as a human person, but the fact that we exist, that we're no good. And it's not about developing a terrible self-hatred or self-image. It's simply about affirming how great God is 
and how low we are in comparison. It's like, it's like comparing us. What are we in relation to the sun? We're nothing. We can't compete with the sun. The sun is so much greater and brighter and stronger than we are. We can avail ourselves of its goodness, but it's so powerful. We have to be careful with it at the same time. We can't overcome it. We can't best it. We can't sort of risk and taunt it and challenge it. No way because of what it is and what we are in relation to it. It doesn't mean the sun is bad, that we're bad. It's just the reality of that relationship. So it is with God. Our humility is an affirmation of the truth of who God is and who we are in relation to God. And this is a tough one in our culture because we're just not taught. We don't, and, and I mean this, we, we don't have a reference point for what real humility is. We also get some helps this week from a couple of the great fathers of the church. In fact, the week will culminate in the celebration of three great fathers together. Three, we call them hierarchs. Basil the Great, Gregory the Theologian, and John Chrysostom. They all are celebrated on different days, but in January, they also end up each being celebrated this month. And what happened historically was, and I call these the good old days, there were fights that broke out, not over liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republic, Trump, and Biden. There were fights that grew up centuries ago in the Byzantine Empire as to who was the greater of the three. Can you imagine that? (laughs) They'd have bar fights over who's greater of these three saints. Now, I call that the good old days. They shouldn't be fights, but at least the subject was worth it. So what the church did, it ended up saying, okay, we're going to honor these three on their individual feast days, but then we're going to put them all together and honor them together so that everybody knows they're all equal in greatness. They all had their gifts, but they're equal in greatness. St. Basil the Great, he's called the Great because not only was he a great theologian, he was a great ascetic. He helped develop monasticism as we know it now. He helped develop hospitals, actually. We can honestly say that St. Basil, in a sense, invented hospitals. See, back then, if you were sick, you, you remained sick at home, or basically you were left, left alone, left on the street. They didn't have hospitals, and he developed that. He helped develop the sense of monastic community, because many monastics at that time were hermits. They would come together sometime, but he developed a rule of life for monastic communities, which later was taken to the Western Church by St. Benedict. He was a great defender of the true faith, especially against the Arian heresy. And he also is credited with writing the Eucharistic prayer, very elaborate, beautiful Eucharistic prayer for the Byzantine liturgy. That's the liturgy that we say during the High Holy Days. It's called the Liturgy of St. Basil because he wrote the Eucharistic prayer. St. Gregory the theologian was a great, great theologian, a great mind of the church, a great holy man, ascetic. As always, all these great men had their persecution. They, they were mistreated, and they were oftentimes exiled and so on. But Gregory, as a great theologian, had a lot to say about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. It's one of the reasons he's called the theologian. And then, of course, St. John Chrysostom. His liturgy also is the one that we use commonly in the Byzantine church. It's named after him because, like St. Basil, he wrote the Eucharistic prayer, only he, it was a little shorter than Basil's prayer. Eucharistic prayer, but it was very magnificent nonetheless, and that's the common one we use in the Byzantine liturgy. St. John Chrysostom was exiled several times in his life until finally he died from it because he was very outspoken. His name was Chrysostom, which means golden mouth, a great, great preacher. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth. 
But yet these men, as accomplished as they were, were humble. They endured persecution. They endured being exiled to the point of it killing them. They endured being misunderstood. But they were men of deep prayer, deep humility. And out of that came great theology, a clarity of what we believe, marvelous example of holiness, of prayer and virtue, and it left us a legacy that we prop up from from this day. That's what humility does for you. Let's practice and try to retrieve, especially as we enter into Lent, that priceless virtue of humility. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. from around the world as it happens religious liberty immigration prayer plus daily reports from the white house capitol hill and rome get the catholic news perspective on the things that impact your life on the ewtn global catholic radio network thank you for listening next week we will return to the light of the east to learn more about annunciation byzantine catholic parish visit our website byzantinecatholic.com where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.